It's funny, today I had a sermon title before I had anything to go with it. I just was praying like, God, what do you want me to talk about? What do you want me to share? And I was feeling like um, I want to share about forgiveness from God's perspective. It's kind of, it's, it's different. We'll start in a different place, but it'll hopefully make sense in the end. But it's from God's perspective. Forgiveness is not a man-made idea that make us feel better about ourselves. It actually was an idea birthed in the heart of God. So from the very beginning of time, God wanted to have a relationship with humanity. We can see this in the garden with Adam and Eve. He made them, he walked with them, he talked with them. He gave Adam a job to name all the animals, all the livestock, all the cattle, the birds and animals. And whatever Adam named them, that was their name. He didn't have to go back, hey, God, is it okay if you call this thing an aardvark? And he goes, oh, yeah, call it whatever you want to. Whatever they named him, he gave him that power to do that. Uh, but, but long before he made the garden, long before he made the heavens and the earth, long before he made Adam and Eve, God knew that mankind would fall. He knew that they would reject him. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to listen to the serpent. And God knew that when Adam and Eve did that, that disobedience, sin and death was going to enter the world and rule and reign because of that one sin. He knew all those things. That had to be, in my mind, probably the most painful day for God in history. He's got Adam and Eve. They're walking in perfect unity, no sin nature. They don't have clothes on. They don't even know it. There's no such thing of anything sinful. And God's walking with them in the cool of the day. They're hanging out. They're friends. They have fellowship, relationship. And then one day they, they decided to believe a talking snake over God. I mean, it had to hurt his heart. Um, but... Um, on top of that, God knew in the moment that they, they made this bad decision that sin and pain was going to enter the a whole entire race, not just for Adam and Eve, but Cain, Abel, and everyone, every born. There's going to be painful things happen all the way through time through this one decision. So it made me wonder this question, have you ever wondered why God, knowing all that he knew, why did he bother to make mankind to begin with? Why not just say, ah, forget this, I'm... It's already Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I got thousands of angels to do whatever he wants to do uh, at their, his beckoning call. Why bother to make mankind if he knew the pain that Adam and Eve and all the family race would, would suffer, all that Jesus would suffer, all the things that was going to happen? Why would God even bother to make mankind to begin with? So I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I mean, I just, I, I, I thought of think things like this sometimes. But, um, why do you do it? Well, you know, before the garden was created, before there was ever a problem, Jesus was the solution. And it's, it's actually the, the love that he has to follow through with his plan. It, there's no way we can comprehend it except through the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. Before there was a garden, before there was even a problem, Jesus was the solution. He is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He knew what was going to happen, and he went through with it anyway. How? How could he do that? So um, he knew all we were going to suffer, all Jesus would suffer, and knowing all this, why did he bother to make mankind in the first place? Well, you see, God had a longing. He had a dream in his heart for something else, for something more. If he, he didn't, he wouldn't have bothered to make the earth. He wouldn't have bothered to make the garden and Adam and Eve and everybody else. He had a long in his heart for relationships. He had a long in his heart for fellowship, for sonship. He had a long in his heart for family. Amen? For family. Ephesians 3, 14, 15 say this. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. 
So Paul tells us here that the whole idea of family, it didn't just originate from a mom and dad one day. It originated by Father God in heaven. I know this is quite obvious when you think about it, and you know it's evident, but because everything that was created was created by God, for God, with his own thoughts, heart, intention. So the idea of family was birthed by God. He made it. The father, the mother, the children, the, the family. The best thing that we have in our lives is family, and of course God's, I mean, in there too, but uh, he invented this. This was his idea. So is, um, so you ever stop to wonder and think about this, that God himself, he wanted a family too. He wanted a family. And that's why he, I believe that's why he made man and made Adam and Eve. So to God, the pain and the suffering that he would experience, because when, when you knew hurt, he hurts. Just like a mother or father, when you see your child hurting or suffering, you're, you're hurting. You feel it. Identical twins, sometimes they really feel it, right? <laughs> At least they, what they say. He felt it, he felt it, and then, but also the pain that he would experience in Jesus. Why would he do this? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy of what? The joy of family. You think back to some of your favorite memories you've ever had. Probably most of them have been with family. Amen? Some with friends and stuff, but a lot of them with family. And God wanted a family. So we are the family of God, amen? This is not just a cliche when we get together and we sing the songs and stuff. We are his children. We are the family of God. He's our father, our provider, and all of the, all the ideas of the church, the Bible, all those things, they were all invented by God, not by a preacher, not by a man, invented by God. John 1, 12 said this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So we, are, as believers, when we receive him, we become children of God. Not something you can make happen, something you believe to happen. And it happens through, through the grace of God. So we think about family, um, we think about our families, we don't really have a lot to say about our family and like which family we're born into, do we? You kind of get what you get and don't pitch a fit, but sometimes we, you know, we pitch a fit anyway. But we didn't get to say who our parents were or where we were born, what city, state, country, anything like that. We didn't get to say who our siblings were, if we had siblings. We didn't get to say who our cousins were. Uh, our family is our family, uh, and that just it is what it is. I mean, it just you can pretend to say they're the black sheep, they're whatever they are in the family, but our family is our family, amen? You didn't get to pick them. But from God's perspective, he had a choice, didn't he? He had a choice. He had the power to pick his parents, his siblings, and any of his relatives. And uh, if some of us had that power, there might be some additions and subtractions in our family tree that you might want to take this cousin out or this person out. Like, oh, I don't move this guy over here. We'll move this guy in here because you don't like them or you've had some kind of family feud, whatever. Am I at the right church or what? I mean, don't, don't look at me like that. I know. Don't. don't, don't. I've heard some of your stories. I've heard some of your, some of your Thanksgiving meals and stuff. We all have family members that, I mean, you may not want them out, but I mean, sometimes you might want a break. But um, if we had the power to choose our family member, family members, our parents, whatever, how would you choose? How, how would you pick? And our sovereign knowledge of whatever, how would we pick? Would we pick them by their intelligence? Would we pick them by if they're beautiful or not, or if you think they're attractive or not, if they're athletic or musical, or if they're funny. Oh yeah, they're funny, I want this guy in my family, he's really funny. That might be old after a while. Um, would you only pick the goody-goodies? Would you pick the Bible scholars? 
I mean, would you pick the nice people, the mean people? Would you pick the rich or the poor? How, how would you pick? How would you pick? I'm thankful that when you think about it that we don't have to pick. But it would be, it's, it's tough. So how would you select your family? Most likely because we're ultimately quite selfish as people, as a human race, right? Uh, we look out for number one most of the time. Are you guys okay? <laughs> right? I mean, just how we are. Um, we would try to pick ones that make us look good and not make us look bad. Ones that wouldn't put shame on the family. Ones that wouldn't embarrass us in some way or another. Ones that maybe did good at school or work or maybe they made lots of money. Ones that would maybe bless us with inheritance or whatever. And it, somehow it would have to benefit us in order to pick them to be part of our family. Uh, we, we pick the ones that we think that are the best of the best for our own benefit. But thankfully, God is not like that. He's not like that. Um, he's not selfish. He doesn't need us to make him look good. He does, he's not worried about us embarrassing him. He genuinely loves people, and he has no hidden motives behind it. God is love, and he has love all the time. I'm seeing some of you are cold. Is the, is the heat still on, or did it? Can you check it, Marshall, if any of them are on or off? Or I'm seeing a few people looking cold. But um, think about this. God, with all his power, had the ability to pick his family members, and he picked people like you and me and people in the Bible. That's hard to understand sometimes, isn't it? He has the power to pick whoever, whoever, whatever, whatever generation, from generation, he has the power to pick, and he picks someone like me. He picks someone like you, and some like people in the Bible, because there's some characters in the Bible, I'll tell you that, characters that'll make you blush. I mean, I'm gonna tell you a little bit, but, but it's amazing to me to think about how God doesn't think like we do. We have to judge it on this scale of, uh, worth, this scale of uh, power or, or prestige or their looks or their athletic ability like they do in school and they're picking teams for whatever and you get the, the last one picked or whatever. He doesn't think like that, doesn't pick like that. Amen? Um, consider even Jesus' natural genealogy. You got Adam and Eve, you know what happened there. Then you got their firstborn son, Cain. Didn't take long for the fall to take effect and he kills his own brother. So they had to God had to switch, if he was going to go through Abel, he had to switch it because now Abel's dead and had to go through Seth. And uh, there was such evil in the land by 10 generations later, which was Noah, there was such evil in the land that God had to hit a reset button called the flood and wipe everybody out because there was so much evil in the land just 10 generations later after the fall. 11 generations after that, we meet Abraham, and Abraham was a godly man. wasn't a perfect man, but he was a godly man. And when I read Abraham's stories, I'm, I'm still amazed with that guy's faith and his obedience to the Lord. But when he was 100 years old, he had a son named Isaac. Isaac had twin sons named Jacob and Esau. Esau was a mighty hunter, and Jacob was a mama's boy. He stayed home, and uh, I don't know what he did with his mom, but that's what it says in the Bible. He, uh, and... and um, not only took his brother's birthright, but he stole the blessing of, from his own brother. That's not the kind of brother you want. That might be the kind of brother you want to take out of that addition and subtraction kind of thing. He stole his birthright and his blessing from his own brother. And his mother helped him do it. How's that for needing some therapy? Okay? Your mother, your mother conspired with your bro younger brother to steal the blessing from you so he could get it. That's messed up. I'll just tell you that. That's really messed up. But even his name means deceiver. He was a deceiver. He was a thief. But he's in the lineage of Jesus. He's in the lineage of Jesus. 
had a choice, chance to pick whoever he wanted to be in there. I'm, I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking, I'd want someone who's more holy, more righteous, who'd represent me better. That, that's not a good representation of Jesus. And, you know, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. He's different than us. He's better than us. Uh, we think about the next one after um, Jacob. He has a bunch of sons through a bunch of different women. And one of them is named Judah. We hear about Judah, we think of the word praise, we think of the lion of the tribe of Judah, but Judah was a character. Thankfully, our, our Judah here is not, he's not a character, he's a great guy, and we love Judah. But the Judah in the Bible, I mean, that guy had some issues. I'm going to tell you stuff that happens not even probably, hopefully not even in Avery County. Uh, some stuff that <laughs> I could say that I've been here a while, but you guys, you guys know the jokes, everybody's related and whatever. But listen to this story, Matthew 1.3. Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So who was Tamar? Tamar was married to Judah's firstborn son, Ur. But Ur was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and the Bible says God put him to death. Now, right there, we should be thank God we're in the New Testament, right there, because we'd all be dead, too. <laughs> like, he did something evil in the eyes of the Lord, and since God killed him. So in the traditional days, in the, back then, when a, when a brother would die, when he had no children, the next brother in line would, would marry that same woman. So Judah uh, gives his secondborn son, Onan, to Tamar, but he was also evil in the eyes of the Lord, and God killed him too. <laughs> Thank God for the New Testament. All right. Now, Tamar had been a widow twice, and she's going through all kinds of pain. She goes to Judah and said, hey, you have one more son left. And he says, yeah, I know. And um, he goes, let, let him wait till he gets older and I'll, I'll give him to you. But he really had no intention on giving uh, his third son, Selah, to, to her. Because I don't know if he thought she was killing him off or she was just a bad cook. But you're two, you, two of my boys went to you and now they're dead. I don't know how I, I want to send my third one to you. And so he was nervous about that, wasn't going to do it. So he lied to her, said that he would do it. And he wasn't planning on doing it. So think about this family lineage in line here, okay? You got Judah, who lied and deceived Tamar. You got Jacob before him, his father, who lied to his brother Esau and other stuff that he, he did. Jacob later is deceived by his uncle uh, Laban. And later we see Judah being deceived by Tamar. This is a whole family of liars and deceivers and stuff like that, and they're in the lineage of Jesus, they're probably in your lineage too. I don't know, in your family tree too, mine too, right? We got some fruits and nuts in our tree and crazy people. But guess what? God is not ashamed to call us his brothers. He's different than us. So um, this is quite the family tree. But anyway, the story goes on. It gets much worse. Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute. Have you read that? I mean, this is like, wow. It means the same thing today as it did back then, just in case you're wondering. Judah sees her on the side of the road. This is the father-in-law. He sees her on the side of the road. I don't know where his wife is now. She must have passed away or something. He sees her on the side of the road, and he thought she was a prostitute, and he sleeps with her. He, um, anyway, she gets pregnant. Three months later, he finds out she's pregnant with twins, and he's ticked off, and he's going to try to have her killed. Well, she had given, he had given her his ID card, his pledge thing to, to say, I'll, I'll come back and pay you later or something like that. I don't, it's, it's crazy. It really is. It's in the Bible, though. So he goes there to have her killed. She gives him his ID back and said, you're the father of these children. And this grandfather is now the father of his, how did I, I wrote it down so it wouldn't mess it up. It's like that song on my own grandpa. The, the grandfather is now the father also of, this, of these two twin boys, and that's in the lineage of Jesus. 
something that I don't think would even happen to every county. I mean, like that's that's really like you would have thought, okay, if any time God would have supernaturally diverted the family line, this would be a good opportunity to do it. Why don't we just go with Joseph? They're done. Let's go with Joseph. He's a pretty good kid. Let's let's pick Joseph. Or why not let's switch it over to Levi? The priests are coming through Levi anyway. Let's just do it that way. No, I like I like Judah. Let's pick Judah. I, I don't know when I get to heaven, I'll understand that one. But um, God is good. God loves people. God loves people. And that's how he did it. Later in his family line, we see Rahab, a prostitute, marry into the lineage of Jesus. Hmm. We, uh, she became the great-grandmother of King David. Then we have David and Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah, and the evil that David did. You would think like, all right, David, you messed up. Let's pick somebody else. We've got to go backtrack a bit. We've got to do something different. No. And this story goes on and on and on. You look at the genealogy. It's, it just, it's bad. It's probably, I think it's probably worse, hopefully worse than all of our genealogies and family trees. But genealogy, Jesus' genealogy is filled with sinful, shameful, hurting people, just like there is in this world today. It's filled with them. So why would, he, why would he do that? Why would he not pick the best of the best or pick the more righteous ones, the more holy ones, the ones that would better represent Jesus or the Messiah? Why would he do this? Well, God knew that all, the, all these things would happen. He knew all their sins and ours, and yet he still chose to come to this earth and, and bleed and die for you and for me and for them. And I want to point something out here. Forgiveness is not a man-made idea. Forgiveness is not a theology. Uh, forgiveness, like family, was God's idea. This is God's idea. He wanted us to experience forgiveness. He wanted to have a relationship. And for the very beginning of time, he knew what was going to happen. Yet, Jesus like, I'll die for them. I'll bear their shame. I'll bear their sickness, disease. I'll bear their sin. I'll take it upon me. They can beat me. They can punch me. Do whatever. But I want my family. I want my family. It isn't a self-fulfilled thing. Like, you know, sometimes you hear a preacher preach and you think they're preaching something just because it, it sounds good to tickle the ears of the people. And, it, of course, it wouldn't sound like that when talking about forgiveness because who wouldn't want to hear that, hey, we can be forgiven of all of our stuff. But this wasn't made up by man. It was made up by God. Amen. As the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, he knew that mankind would fall. He knew that mankind would sin terribly, but by the grace of God, he came up with the idea called forgiveness. A plan instituted by God that we could be forgiven for all of our wrongs. And God has practiced this forgiveness for years. Started with Adam and Eve and Cain and so on to every human being ever to be born. And aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Now, not everyone has received God's forgiveness, but it has been provided for everyone. It's been provided for everyone, but not everyone has received it. You know, people try so hard to be good enough for God. I've done that. Uh, I try not to do it. Sometimes you can get into that mode without even thinking about it if you're not careful. They want to be holy enough. They want to be righteous enough to be accepted by God. They want to be good enough so that they'll make it to heaven when they die. They won't go, have to go to hell. And uh, so the goal becomes, be good enough so I don't go to hell. Not, not let's get to know God. Now, let's get in a relationship with God. Let's know Jesus, but let's be good enough so I don't have to go to hell. So the goal is to not do something more than it is to actually do something, which is to get to know God. But uh, how do they do that? How can we be good enough? Who decides who's good enough? Who, 
where's the plumb line or the standard? Like, if we sin 10 times, we're still okay, but number 11, boom, also we fall off this cliff and we're doomed for hell. Where, where is the line? Who has this line of who can be saved, who can't be saved, who's still saved, who's righteous, who's not? And, you know, that line, uh, how much is too much uh, before we're doomed to hell? How can we know that? Well, I don't really want to know that personally because I'm not going to live out there on that edge. But just, just speaking in theory, like, because we can look at people and judge them because they've sinned more than we have, at least in our own imaginations and our minds. And we can just write them off or sentence them like, well, that guy's, well, he's just going to hell. Who cares? He's a druggie. He's a this. He's a that. He's, he has no value to this society, whatever. But I want to know, tell something. God doesn't think like that. He doesn't think like that. Um, and you know what? I can, I can never be good enough, holy enough, righteous enough to please God. I can't do it. I can never love God enough, memorize the Bible enough, preach enough. I can never earn my place in his family. Just like you can't earn your place in the family that you were born into, whether it was good or bad, you can't earn that place. It's called inheritance. You are inherited into that place. You're born into that place, whether it was good, bad, or whatever. You get what you get. That's what you get. And now with the family of God, we, are, we inherit the blessings of God through family. Through family, Amen. So just like you never earn your spot in your natural family, we can never earn our spot in his heavenly family. You can't do it. We have to be born into our families and we have to be born again into his family. And praise God, because of Jesus, we can be born again. A new birth into a new family. One that won't embarrass you. One that won't put you to shame. One that will never leave you, forsake you. One that will stand closer to you than a friend or a brother. One that will stand by you thick and thin, no matter what, never leave you, forsake you. He's a, it's a family like no other family. The family of God, amen. So God knew this. He came up with a plan called grace. A plan called mercy and forgiveness. And we all get to benefit from this plan. This is not a pastor's message. This is God's plan. It's birthed in the heart of God that he knew before the foundation of the world. Listen to this, John 4, 1 John 4, 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. And not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It is not about how much you love God. It's about how much God loves you. And we can boast all day, I love God, I love God, because I do this missionary work, and I've donated these Bibles, and we've done this, all this stuff. You can do that, and that, that um, sound like a, a donkey, hee-hawing in the barn, or whatever Kenneth <laughs> used to say. It's like a clanging gong, a resounding cymbal. Boast about how much we love God. It's not about how much we love God, because all of us could do more, all of us could do less. It's about how much God loves you. God is love. I'm not love. I try to let his love flow through me. I try to receive it and give it away. But I'm not the author and finisher of anybody's faith. <laughs> he is the author and finisher of your faith. Amen. And this is his plan. Um, so once again, forgiveness is not a man-made idea to make us feel better about ourselves. Forgiveness, like family, is from God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is the, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself. Doesn't say the church there. I don't want to point that out. 
God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise God, we be, uh, he became sin who didn't know anything about sin. I mean, he understood it, that it's bad, I'm sure, and all that stuff, but he didn't experience it, didn't do it. So you can become righteous, not earn it, become through inheritance, through being born again. The forgiveness of sins, though, is not only for the church, it's for the world. And as long as we're preaching hell and judgment and damnation and you miserably worthless people, blah, 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 whatever. What did he say here, though? He's not counting their sins against them. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter that they sin. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter you sin. He's not, he doesn't have an account book in heaven keeping track of your sins. That is a lie. You read that? That's a lie. He's not keeping track of it. Even the world sins. Now, look, they're still going to have to pay for it if they don't receive his, his justification for their sins, his uh, payment that he paid for them. They're going to have to pay for it themselves, which is going to be bad news for them. But their sins or lawless deeds, he remembers no more. So the message of reconciliation is to tell the world, guess what? While they're doing drugs, while they're snorting cocaine, while they're shooting up, while they're stealing, lying, cheating, whatever they're doing, guess what? God loves you and he's not counting your sins against you. And you know what? That's the message of the gospel. And it's not to say he wants you to stay there. That's what, he's not holding it against you. You can come into the family anyway and he'll help you become healthy. He'll help you get out of that mess. He'll take you from glory to glory. He'll help you. You can't clean, you, you, the church expects the person to get cleaned up before they can come. They have no power to do that. You can't be holy without the Holy Spirit. You can't be righteous without the gift of righteousness. You can't do it on yourself. Everyone in human history tried to do it and they can't. Only one who did it was Jesus. And so he gave us this gift called grace and righteousness. You can become that through faith in what Jesus did, not faith in anything we'll ever do. And that goes to the world. And I just think if we become ambassadors of reconciliation and telling the world that God's not holding your sins against you, we'll see a lot more fruit than we're telling them you're, you're going to hell in a handbasket, God's going to judge this, God hates you, God this, blah, 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 blah. And you know what? He doesn't. Does he hate some of the stuff that they do? Of course. I mean, we have kids. They do stuff we don't like. We still love them. My parents, there's a lot of stuff I, didn't, I did that they didn't like, but they still loved me. Okay? So I'm not trying to say there's no such thing of sin. Just saying that Jesus took care of sin. Do you know that? I'm way off my notes, but I'm going to go anyway. Sin is not the problem. And that's why it annoys me when it's preached so much. Sin is not the problem. Jesus took care of the sin problem. Our belief and our unbelief is the problem. Our belief that we're not free, our belief that we're not delivered, our belief that Jesus didn't do this for me, our unbelief and our belief is the problem. If we believe right, we're going to live right. That's the power of God unto salvation. It's not if you stop sinning and do all these things, then God will accept you. No, he'll accept you right now, right where you are. But he'll, but he'll change you and transfer you from glory to glory. So let me read this again, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, 20. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And everybody in here better say amen to that. Amen? Not just the church, the world, though. All of them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. And we 
are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Again, this is not a greasy grace message or anything like that that people call it. This is God's plan. This is God's plan. Man did not make this up. Man did not write these things. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's God's plan of love and grace and mercy. He wants people to come into his family. And they're going to come into his family as we tell them the truth that sets them free. How many of you ever were transformed by guilt, condemnation, and shame? You might have been controlled by it. You might have been manipulated by it, but you were not transformed by it. Are you here? Okay. So... Um, God reconciled the world to himself through Christ and that God is now not counting their sins against them. He's not counting our sins against us anymore either either, because sin is not the problem. You know, we've heard this preach that we're going to get to heaven. There's these big books in heaven and they're going to open them up and here's the things you could have done for Christ and here's the things you uh, did do for Christ and I don't know, they got some measuring scale or whatever. It depends on who tells the story. But there's the Lamb's Book of Life your name's written in there. I don't see any other book. It says, not counting your sins against you. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no records of wrongs. So where are these books anyway? I think they must be in hell or something because they're not in heaven. They're not in my father's heart. First, uh, John 1.12 says it, but as many as received him, them who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what do we see here? How do you become righteous? By believing and receiving. How to become holy? By believing and receiving. That's the only way. It is the only way. It's by faith in Jesus. He is the author, the inventor, the finisher, the completer, the perfecter of our faith. Nothing you ever can do will make it, make it way to heaven except through him. Um, but how can they believe if they don't hear? And how can they call on him and who they have that believed? And how should they believe in him and who they have not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach unless they're sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good joy. Guys, why did God make man? I mean, why did God make put us in his family? Why did he do that? Because God is good. And God loves people. I guess picture Jesus walking through New York City or California and or India and places where they're just streets are covered with homeless people, druggies, needles in their arm and stuff, and him just walking up and just saying and just not judging them, saying and understanding why they how they got to that place. War veterans and different people that have just been through terrible stuff and they just haven't been able to handle it on their own. And they don't need the condemnation of the church. They need the love and grace of Jesus to come alongside them and, and, and teach them and help them and, and help them get out of this mess. Amen? So I believe that um, he wants us to tell the world of his mercy, his love and grace so that he can have more children in his family. The father wants a family. And it's our job to help as ambassadors of Christ. It's our job to help tell him this message so he can have as many kids as possible. Amen. Um, so Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come to judge the world. Jesus came to save the world. And if people like Judah can be saved and part of God's family, if people like Rahab, people like us can be in God's family, I think there's a lot of people in your friends, your family members that are unsaved right now, they can become part of God's family too. Amen.
But you have to be a minister of reconciliation, not an not a ambassador of the law, not ambassador of the rules. I mean, I, I wish I could explain more what I'm trying to say. I hope it's coming out clear. But anyway, not that the rules don't matter, but ambassador of grace. God's not counting them against you, and he's going to help clean them up and give them a good life. So forgiveness, from God's perspective, is not a small matter. It's powerful. It's life-changing. It's life-giving. It's priceless. It's something we can never earn. But at the same time, it's already fully, completely paid for, for you and for me. So since it's already fully paid for, all your sins, lawless deeds, past, present, future, all of your sins, lawless deeds, have already been paid for, shouldn't we honor God by believing what he said? And not walk in the, in the mire of religion and think, woe is me, I goofed up again. I mean, I mean, if you're there, guess what you need to fall on? You need to fall on the arms of grace. It's not going to help you fall on the arms of condemnation, guilt, and shame. It won't deliver you. It just, you, you, you'll do self-repentance, you'll do penance and punish yourself for a while, and then guess what, you'll go a week or two without doing this or that, and all of a sudden it comes back around and you do it again, and you're going to beat yourself up again, this vicious cycle. But through grace of Jesus, you can actually get delivered, set free, and liberated from any bondage, any lie, any deception, any anything through Jesus, because he paid for it all already for you. And we need to be telling people that. Because forgiveness is God's idea. Grace is God's idea. Amen? And since it's paid in full, we need to honor him and receive it personally and give it away to others. Amen? So, um, yeah. Amen. Um, sometimes I hear people talk about God, and I'm wondering if we're talking about the same person. Like, is he, are we really talking about the same person? Jesus, who's the exact representation of the Father, they walked on this earth and helped widows and orphans, who helped family members, who loved on people. He went to the bars and the clubs and ministered to people. He helped them. He went to them. He went into their homes of Zacchaeus. He went into the homes of these people. He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. He, he, he went to the people because he didn't care about his own reputation. He cared about the people. And guess what? He's not ashamed to call you his brother either. He'll go into your house. He'll go into my house. And the, you know, the centurion said, I'm not worthy to have you come out of my home. He would have went anyway. Anybody could have said that. <laughs> Who is worthy? But Jesus is worthy, amen. So I just want to share that with you. I heard God say, I want you to preach forgiveness from my perspective. This is not a man-made idea. This is God's plan for humanity. That God so loved this world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever will believe in him, whoever will believe in him, will have life, abundant life, to the full, to the max, to the overflows. We receive pardon of our sins, forgiveness, and a relationship with God. The goal of Christianity is not to escape hell. It's to come into a relationship with the Father. Amen? It's not just to barely make it to heaven. It's to have a relationship with God. That's the goal. And because of Jesus and his grace, we all get to have a relationship with God. Amen? And that, my friends, is what you call good news. Amen? Will you guys please stand? I want to pray for you. Anytime you find your heart striving, you know, striving for something, striving to please God or something, you're, uh, you're on the wrong path. Resting is receiving. 
resting in the finished work of Jesus, trusting what he, his word said, letting his word comfort your heart, that's going to bring more faith and comfort than ever trying to be the hamster on the wheel, running and running and running, trying to please God. When you guess what? He's so pleased with you, he died for you. I mean, I don't know if he can show it any other way. So God, I thank you for your children. We are the family of God. Man, I think I got that cool, in the, is that cool in the gang? We are family. I don't know who does that song. We're family. We are family of God, of God. The family of God. Not born of natural descent of our human, our human choice or husband's decision, but born of God. We have been given the right to become sons and daughters of God. We are now the children of God. We look like God, we talk like God, we act like God, we walk in victory like God. God is our Father, your DNA flows through our veins. And I just declare we think like you, we love like you, we give like you. Yes. We have victory like you. We have breakthroughs in our family like you. Amen. Anyone taking that one? We have breakthroughs in our family. Anybody need that? Come on, somebody. Don't let me pray alone. Come on, we've claim breakthroughs in our family. Because God loves family. God loves family. He loves people. So let us pray a, a mighty release of your grace and favor over our region, over our community, over those that are abound in addictions to drugs and alcohol and sex and pornography and things that, of this life that don't fulfill us. Lord, I pray there be a mighty deliverance for, uh, across this region in Jesus' name by the power and love of God that the truth will set them free, not a little bit free, but free indeed. In Jesus' name. And God, I just thank you that you are more than able, more than able, more than able to deliver our family members, our friends, our loved ones, and even strangers that we don't know yet. More than able. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to pray for the food too. I hope you guys will stay. And I hope everyone uh, can give something to India. Even if it's something small, I would love for everybody to give at least something to that, to that mission trip. Uh, God, we thank you for the food. Thank you for Mark and Laura and the team, uh, Dale and Judah and um, Shawnee. Pray you uh, bless them that they have more than enough. They have too much. Yes, I pray they get too much. More than they need. Anybody here with me? Yes. More than they need. More than enough. God, we bless that food. Bless our fellowship together, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, forgiveness is not your idea, it was God's, so we might as well receive it, amen. He who receives the abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness shall what? Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So let's do that, amen. God bless you guys, love you. You guys are dismissed. Stick around for food, though.